0: This is the Chapel of DBTS. Be sure to subscribe and listen to the Chapel messages weekly. And for more info, please go to dbts.edu. And now today's message. Good morning. Let me invite you, please, to go to Galatians chapter 2, please. Galatians chapter 2. And uh, I think this still fits within my uh, parameters of leadership that I said I was going to Preach on this uh, year in chapel, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to weave it into uh, the issue. Really, if I'd say this, that one of our chief responsibilities as a leader among God's people, uh, particularly in the local church, is that uh, we need to uh, guard the gospel. And and do so, and give it a priority. In fact, even over uh, relationships, personal relationships. And so, what I want to do is. I'm going to zero in on Galatians chapter 2, want to look at the text, and then actually zero in on an issue that I think is a contemporary one, which is uh, this whole deal of calling things gospel issues, right? Because it, it just seems like uh, we're, we're running the place where um, you actually could betray the gospel, by giving the boundaries of the gospel a very porous edge. Right? So now everything is a part of the gospel. And and it and it could ultimately make the gospel really about nothing. And so we need to we need to think about it. right? so look at you at Galatians chapter two, verses eleven uh, through fourteen. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you being a Jew live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? And I'm just going to read a couple more verses here. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles, and nevertheless knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. For if, while seeking be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Right, so I read the rest of the chapter because I think it's important to deal with this gospel issue thing in light of, of what the context is. But let's just zero in on, on uh, 11 through 14. I want to suggest three truths that I think show the priority of the gospel over our relationships and and in a sense um, what happens between Paul and Peter and Barnabas is is a good window into what our convictions ought to be on this and so and that's that's the point that that I'm zeroing in on the first is this we we must never allow our respect for or relationship with people to displace the authority of God's word. Alright, Paul had a relationship with Peter, and even I mean, practically it seems a closer relationship with Barnabas. Obviously, they were they were missionary team members, but he would not let those relationships, the relationship and his respect for someone to trump the authority of God's word. All right? God's word had the priority of it. Because uh, obviously. In verse 11, right, you can see, and actually down in verse 13, that even godly and gifted people can be wrong, right? I don't think Paul's here questioning in, in any way the giftedness of Peter or Barnabas, and and certainly to some sense he's questioning, if, if we use the sort of broadest term of godliness, he's thinking they're wrong and they're acting hypocr- hypocritically, which wouldn't be consistent with godliness, but he... He is saying these good men were wrong on this issue, right? That's why he's saying uh, even Barnabas was carried away, right? And 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 Peter stood condemned, right? Normally good and godly men can be wrong, so we can never give them the place of final authority. Right? Just I mean that's. And, and that, I think, I don't know that I've ever met anybody that actually would say I disagree with you. But I see it happen all the time. Right? We are, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to rein myself in because this is just vexes my soul. I mean, we have got such man worship in our day. You know, I go, to, I go to attend conferences or whatever, and some of these celebrity guys. I mean, it's like people are little puppies licking at their feet i mean they 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 essentially have elevated a human to the place that whatever they say because they said it it's right and 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 that is just foolishness right and you can watch you can watch it happen all over the place right and and the reality is we should thank God for godly and gifted people who have uh, taken stands or have produced good material or have benefited us. But at no point do we exchange God, because he rules us through his word, exchange God for them. Right? We can't do that. There, there isn't that kind of authority in human instruments and vessels. Right there is an objective standard to which all servants of Christ must answer, and and so so we can't do that. And there's just too much of a tendency on it, and and that's been um, you know that's that's been the problem with with humanity forever. It seems like right. It's it's there's something in us that that that. Uh, Elevates instruments above the one who uses the instruments. And, and we've got to guard against it because that's where error comes in. All right? Listen to uh, Wayne Grudem uh, said this in a, in a chapter on boundaries in a book called Beyond the Bounds, which goes back to the open theism debate. Right, But here's what he said. We must recognize that most false teaching in the history of the church has come from people with a sincere profession of faith in Christ, which I'm not completely comfortable with. But many of them were devout, genuine Christians who had a love for Christ and strong faith, but they were deceived by some wrong idea. And and that's right. I, I hesitate on, on the charity with which he speaks of, of people who are actually embracing core false teaching. But his point is, is that, Most of the time, the the most dangerous errors that have affected the church haven't come from people outside of the church. They come from within. Somebody who everybody thinks is a good guy, but he introduces some kind of false element that that ends up being a, a Trojan horse for error, and so... Uh, he, he draws this conclusion after saying therefore the argument that a person is a strong Christian and has a fruitful ministry in the lives of many does not prove that his teaching is correct or that it is harmless. There I go amen right Because what we tend to do is if we have had uh, if if there's a parent blessing on the person and and we've experienced some fruitfulness from it, we tend to just say, you know God's hands on them, and that that has been uh, that has been the the source of untold ruin among God's people. On on what I would say right and left, right? I mean guys who are just uh, wicked pastors who can build big churches. Get get a card because of it. I mean, and 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 the same things can happen across the board. Huh? So, so we we need to recognize that this tendency, I think, is doubly dangerous because it effectively abdicates our personal responsibility to to uh, search the scriptures and make certain the things that we're holding to are in fact right and good, as well as uh, undercutting the authority of scripture in our lives. I mean, I said this recently when I was preaching at a conference, that there's a tendency for guys to sort of footnote their faith. They believe it because so-and-so believes it, right? And if you ask them, so, so why do you believe that? All they can tell you is what their teacher said, rather than be able to go to the text of Scripture, right? I mean, you should be able to answer it based on the text of Scripture, not because so-and-so believes it. I mean, it's great if so and so helped you understand that, but the key was they helped you understand the scriptures. So anchor what you believe here, right? And 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 then perhaps uh, draw insight from them. <laughs> but but the reality of it is, you can't you can't have a secondhand faith, right? You have to be personally convinced of it, and therefore you make certain it. And, and I'm not calling you to be critical or skeptical. God expects us to be teachable and submissive to qualified spiritual leaders, but never giving them the ultimate place of authority. If they're qualified and godly spiritual teachers, right? Remember Hebrews 13:7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke to you the word of God. Right? It's not just follow your leader. It's you're supposed to remember the ones who spoke to you the word of God. The value of them was that they spoke the word of God. And we need to remember that the most dangerous errors are often those which which some men, and, and perhaps we could say many, most, don't see. Right? Verse 14, When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all. Right? So, Here's here's the uh, again a, a point that is in a sense sort of axiomatic, or it wouldn't be a danger. Right? If everybody saw it was a problem, then it wouldn't be dangerous. But the fact is that many do not see that it's a problem. That's precisely why it is dangerous. And and so we need to recognize that, uh, just like we don't give. We don't give uh, authority to any particular person above the scriptures. We certainly, as well, don't give authority to—I'd uh, mean I to say the way—sort of the majority or a movement of people who might be the way we'd say it in our days, subject to groupthink. <laughs> right, and that's obviously part of why I'm talking about this is because of these conferences the last couple of weeks, and I i wasn't at them and i actually haven't listened to anything that's been said so i'm not making any specific attacks against any specific people all right but what 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 i kept watching what was happening in the buzz around it and thinking here is precisely the danger of this right park someone in the midst of twelve thousand people uh all singing songs that stir the heart and devotion and somebody gets up and and you know, passionately proclaims things and loads of people around you are going, amen, that's right, that's right, is how persuasive that context is to bypass good, reasonable evaluation of the arguments. Right? Because if you sat down across from the person and we're in a one-on-one discussion, and heard the same thing, you might not be as susceptible to it as if you're in the midst of 12,000 people and watching a bunch of people around you affirm it all. Right? That's the danger for us. And I, I mean, I've I mean, I've seen I've seen that happen among good people over good things that there there can be sort of a mob response in the moment, right, to bad ideas and and we need to recognize that that careful reflection is crucial to it and, and history i think confirms to us it's often few that perceive the long-term consequences of of what could appear to be minor doctrinal deviations and it takes a while for people to to start to you know wrestle with the ramifications of those things i mean think even think about I mean, maybe this isn't a good analogy, but, um, you know, when evolution raised its head, uh, the the early responses of Christians to that were not ideal, right? They started to feel cowed by the pressure of it and and came up with ways of trying to explain, you know, the consensus of science and the strength of it in ways that right now we look back and we go, how how could they say that? How could they concede that? How could they do that? Right? Be- but they were under the pressure of their day, wrestling with issues, and it was it 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 actually now was a I think a relatively small amount of voices that began to question that consensus or that tendency. And and stand against it, so that right now you and I stand. Uh, in a position, I would hope, of much stronger strength on this issue than people that we would consider giants in other areas. Right? We'd go back and we look at them and say, man, that, that person was a biblical and theological giant. But what in the world were they talking about gap theories and, you know, or, or all kinds of issues? I mean, you could go back and think, what in the world were they thinking? Okay. and 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 so here's the the irony a little bit of it right right now we got people going back and saying you know uh, look at what these people believe that was so wrong and we still consider them significant and and here's the reality they were in wrong in large measure because they were conformed to their culture and now there's there's this whole argument going, on and these people are pointing at them, saying, "See how oh, they're wrong," and they're not even thinking about the fact that whether maybe they're they're being conformed to their culture. That they're framing all of these issues not by the authority of Scripture, but by the culture around them. And and so I would say, for both, and every, you and I have to stand apart as much as we can, trying to make certain that what we're doing is coming out of the scriptures, not being squeezed onto the scriptures because of the particular cultural moment we're in. Right? Because it would be Yeah, I don't I don't dive right into it yet. Alright, but I think we have to recognize that, all right? Our ultimate commitment has to be to Christ. And that's what Paul started in chapter one, verse ten, right? If I seek to please men, I'm not the servant of Christ. And that's what was happening with Peter and Barnabas. Right? It says it happened when certain from James and the party of circumcision showed up. Peter and Barnabas changed their behavior in order to fit with them and to, to satisfy and please them. And Paul was saying, no, no, no. We seek to please Christ. Right, And Paul was willing to stand apart from them on that and, and not do it. He was willing to risk his personal relationships and potentially the rejection of what would seem to be a power base in the church, right? I mean, in God's, uh, you know, God's uh, mercy, it seems that Paul won this little encounter. But he was actually willing to risk losing. and that's why he stood up right he confronted them and was willing to take a stand against them because they were wrong and he and he was able to do that and i think i wonder if at times our desire to be relevant isn't really rooted in our fear of being marginalized for standing against the time and i i mean i Say this one really carefully, all right? Because it's my perspective on it. I think is not just an opinion. I think it's a reasonable, defendable judgment. But I think one of the most sinister aspects of evangelicalism that has its roots back to the new evangelicalism. So I'm not just talking about anybody that believes the gospel. I'm talking about the movement that goes back 60 some years. Is that it has chosen hot button issues to drive a wedge 1957 Billy Graham did it by the inclusion of modernists in New York and its he did it on purpose to drive away the fundamentalists so basically he could put it out there and say we are going to do this and if you don't like it go your own way And and I think the same thing happened two weeks ago we're going to elevate an apostate, wrap an issue around him, and if you don't like it, you can hit the road. Basically driving it so that you, you made the issue now about a person, and if you speak against that in any way, you are so out of step. I mean, you, I, mean I, I was called a bigot, an enemy of the gospel, a clown, a KKK sympathizer, a Pharisee, for simply questioning why people promoting a gospel issue would hold up a man whose own writings deny the deity of Christ, his bodily resurrection, his virgin birth, right, that, that nothing has shown anybody with any authority said, he's actually changed any of those views. And you're going to take a gospel issue and wrap it around the person who what we would say is actually denied the gospel. Because now you can't speak against it without actually being polarized and separated from them. Right? And 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 you uh, even, you know, some guy tried to send the free press my name to try and discredit this ministry because I raised a question about it right so it's essentially trying and push you outside of the boundaries of our group because you don't agree with us on this issue and make you feel as if boy you've got to just sort of conform to fit in right in that case the pressure is being put on you to be Peter and Barnabas. You better step in line with us. Or you're not going to fit in with us. Right? And, and, and Paul was unwilling to give up the purity of the gospel for the sake of those relationships. Even if it was done by people he cared about and respected. So we can never allow as well our desire for peace to distort the truth of God's word. Right? Now I mean I set this in the context of Paul's life. Paul was not a divisive or unloving person. Right? He wrote a lot about unity, didn't he? I mean First Corinthians one ten, Philippians one twenty seven through two four, Ephesians four three says we're to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Right? So Paul was not a divisive person. He was not an unloving person. I mean, you, you, I mean, he wrote about love all the time. He desired peace, but he could not accept peace at the cost of God's word and the gospel. He was not willing to sacrifice that. And what we have to come to a conclusion, Right, is that either Paul was a colossal hypocrite, he didn't really mean what he said about unity, he didn't really mean what he said about love, he didn't mean what he said about division, or he believes that the preservation of unity and the practice of love sometimes call for confrontation. Right? That, that if you're actually going to have unity, it must be in the truth, so you can't give up the truth for the sake of unity. If you're actually going to have biblical love, it has to be joined to God and his gospel because faith works out through love. So if you abandon the truth, you've abandoned the faith. So, so you can't do what was happening here with, with Peter and Barnabas. Paul knew that unity and love devoid of the truth are hollow imitations of the real thing. They're not the real thing. I mean, it's you know it's an old preachers deal. But I mean, you can tie two cats together and hang them over a clothesline. You have union, but you don't have unity, right? I mean, those cats are going to be fighting like crazy, even if they're tied together. They're not actually united. And and sometimes what has happened, there's been a push for union. We're going to get everybody together. And, and, and basically, in order to do that, there has to be a continual reduction of truth. Because if truth were prominent, people would figure out where they disagreed with each other. So we got to keep downplaying it. And, and therefore, we can be, they'd say, united, but all they're doing is forcing some kind of a union that eventually is going to blow up, in my mind. J.C. Ryle, writing a long, long time ago, said, Peace without truth is a false peace. It is the very peace of the devil. Unity without the gospel is worthless unity. It is the very unity of hell. Let us never be ensnared by those who speak kindly of it. I mean, he was at a battle point in the 1800s. and, And it's the same battle point again and again. So Paul is insisting that the message takes priority over the messenger, right? Remember what he says in chapter 1? If even I, or an angel from heaven, preached to you another gospel, let him be accursed. So Paul believes the message is more important than the messenger. It doesn't matter who it is, if they're preaching the message in a way that is not the true gospel of Jesus Christ, then they... They are to be a curse. The message has priority, and we cannot lose sight of that. So we can never allow essential doctrines to be denied in teaching or practice, right? And and um, you know, I I, uh, I I hope we don't lose sight of that, right? We're we're a separati- We believe in biblical separatism, and what that means is that the gospel. Uh, the gospel cannot be compromised in a way that that denies any essential elements of it, and and that's not just a matter of the teaching side of it, right? So we've been consistently argued, for instance, right? So so let's let's I mean just try and play it out, right? So so here's what I would say. I mean, and this is this is my point uh, about the the King Conference, right? So so. Does a person believe what the gospel teaches, or do they deny essential portions of it? I mean, if you deny the deity of Christ, you, you cannot be meaningfully called a Christian, right? I mean, I wanted to do it, and I fought the sarcasm, you know, in my my soul. I felt like tweeting out, you know, in August, DBTS is going to be hosting the you know the, the the Mother Teresa conference on poverty as a gospel issue. Right, because J.I. Packer says she's a Christian. The Gospel Coalition and Tim Keller say poverty is a gospel issue. So everybody come together. Let's do it. Right at that point, we would say, if you believe in justification on the basis of works, how can you how can you hold that person up as a person who believes the gospel? Right, you know, I Packer does it actions you know what was happening two weeks ago his actions right what he did proved he was a christian not what he believed right and and so what ends up happening you can end up putting your arm around people who actually deny the very thing that you say marks a christian and and we have always said and i'm saying we here as in separatists have always said to do so right and this is the denial part by practice to do so effectively denies the gospel right because if you believe the scriptures say here's what christians believe right let's just let's take it back to the deity of jesus christ right if you say In order to be a Christian, you have to recognize that Jesus Christ is God. And someone's over here, and they go, no, the deity of Christ was actually not something that had to do with him being the eternal son of God. It was the fact that, and then they fill it in with whatever apostate argument they want to make. Okay, so they're outside of this circle. And you, inside the circle, reach out and say, you're my brother in Christ. You know what you've practically done? You've denied that there's even a circle. You've said effectively, you can be a Christian and deny Christ. So you've said to everybody, you don't really have to believe this. Right? So, go out and evangelize and say, hey, you know, you want to trust Christ? Yeah, what does that mean? Well, you got to believe that He's the eternal Son of God. Well, I don't believe that. Well, it's okay. You know, just, we're all right. So, you effectively have said the gospel is not something that separates between Christians and non Christians. And, and, and we can't do that. And that's why we've always been, I'm, I'm saying we, like historically, right? Uh, if you trace the trail from from those who and let's and I'll put it in my like snapshot, right? So, evangelicalism from the time of the Reformation, and then in the in the early twentieth century, you had the modernists who came who denied essential doctrines of the faith, and the fundamentalists rose up to say. That's not Christianity. I mean, that's the point of Machen's book, even though he didn't really call himself a fundamentalist. But when he writes a book called Christianity and Liberalism, he's saying there's Christianity and then there's liberalism. They're separate from each other. So the fundamentalists tried to push the liberals out, and when they didn't do that and weren't successful in most cases, they withdrew. They separated. All right, go down a couple decades, and you have a group of fundamentalists in doctrine who denied that it was right to separate from them, and they called themselves the New Evangelicals. Right, who in their early stages believed in Orthodox truths, but wanted to work with and fellowship with, and partner with, those who denied them, okay, and, and that table has slid downward, right, because now you can be an evangelical, and believe things that the modernists used to believe, so pushing back against that, there's a group of people that call themselves conservative evangelicals, and, and, this is way past what I'm intending to say. But but folks, don't think a conser- the label conservative evangelical means fundamentalist. Some of them it might. Right? But for a bunch of them, all it really means is old new evangelicalism. That's all it means. Because they're the ones who still want to be co-belligerents with Bible deniers still want to try and change the culture and are willing to form partnerships with people who deny the faith. Right? It's not the same as a fundamentalist. It's not. And and we need to recognize that and guard against the drift that's happening. Right? And, and so we can never allow essential doctrines to be denied in teaching or practice. Right? All biblical truth is important, but some doctrines go to the very core of genuine Christianity. Right? Look at verse... 21. If I do not if I do not I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly. So what Paul's saying there is if you get justification by faith alone in Christ alone on the basis of grace alone then you've just basically gutted Christianity of what what's at the center of it. Christ's death Right, so so you've pulled a thread that unra- unravels the whole sweater at that point, and and that's that's the issue. All right, so now, and I haven't left myself as much time as I probably need to for this, but so so everything I said there, uh, I believe as as much as I can tell in my heart down to rock rib. All right, willing to you know uh, willing to to crash into the wall over this stuff. Right. So, here comes somebody and says, but, and then just, you know, pick the issue du jour. Right? It's a gospel issue. So, you need to be able to do what Paul did and confront anybody who's not standing on this gospel issue. Right? Uh, Social justice, uh, all those kinds of issues, those are gospel issues, so we need to be like Paul and be willing to confront anybody who's not committed to our gospel issue. Because this gospel issue is is wrapped up in what's going on. And what I would suggest to you is... Um, the, the I mean, the, the devil in the proverbial details, or proverbial devil in the details, really is defining a gospel issue. Right? And, and the current tendency... To extend this idea of gospel issue to all kinds of matters beyond the content of the gospel is very dangerous and wrong headed. Right? The gospel is the gospel. Right? And what Paul's after here is defending the message that a person is justified by faith alone. That's why you can't just pull 11 through 14 out of the context and just apply it to whatever thing you want. That's why he immediately goes to, how are we justified? Because the issue for Barnabas and Peter, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm going to hit, I mean, I absolutely think we've got to be straightforward. It wasn't an, a racial ethnic issue. He's talking about justification here. And, and if you don't look at the context, right, Paul doesn't at any point treat this as a racial issue. He, te- he treats it on the basis of justification. Paul and Barna- or Peter and Barnabas weren't pulling back from the Gentiles because they were Gentiles. They were pulling back from them because they weren't submitted to the law. That's why he talks. Look at the verses following it. Okay, by the works of the law verse 15 in in uh, he says works of the law works of the law works of the law right he goes down to 19 he's talking about the law again and then he's talking about the righteousness that comes through the law and he jumps right into chapter 3 remember there's no chapter markers you foolish galatians who's bewitched you before whose eyes Christ was publicly crucified and he goes right into the law issue again okay and and if 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 we're not really careful, drop down to three and, and verse twenty-eight, because here's where this gospel issue kind of a thing will push, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor freeman, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Is is that mean gender issues are a gospel issue? Right? Because there's a load of people who are, are bending to the culture of our day and saying, listen, this distinction between male and female that we find all throughout the Scriptures, the Gospel has settled that issue. Right? There's neither male nor female. And we, not, we need to stop this kind of division that you guys are creating about this. Because this is a Gospel issue. Is Paul really saying there aren't men and there aren't women? There aren't Jews and there aren't Greeks? No. He's saying we're all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. There's not a way in for the Jews and a way in for the Gentiles. There's not a way in for men and a way in for women. There's not a way in for slave and there's not a way in for free. There's one. And it produces people who all are God's children by virtue of faith. I mean we 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 can the content of the gospel itself is the only legitimate control that we can have on this issue right because the content is objective it's word based it's clear that's why there's all this fight about what's a gospel issue because it's second and third level kinds of implications that are going into it well by implication it's a gospel issue all right, but but let's think about it. If you take really what Paul's saying and let the text of Scripture control us, then then if you don't accept what they're saying on that, Galatians one six through nine would say you're accursed. Because if that thing's wrapped up in the gospel, then then you're either holding to the true gospel or you have another gospel. All right, it's not just a point of little disagreement. It's actually at the center of it. And, and, and we need to really realize how dangerous that could be. It becomes a matter of eternal destiny and necessary separation. It's not, it's not a minor thing. It's not something good believers can disagree about. You can't disagree about the gospel. Right? You can't. And I think we've got we've to guard it what's really happening i think is that these people saying this is a gospel issue what they really are meaning it's a conversion or regeneration issue right you can't hate your brother and claim to be a christian i agree with that first john confronts that right but that's the mark of a converted person it doesn't shoehorn that into the gospel Right? it doesn't all now sudden make that the content of the gospel it's it's a way in which you could confront professing believers about their sinfulness it is wrong for you to be full of sinful prejudice right and it was horrific horrific that any Christians embrace the kind of segregation that that is at the root of these issues okay there's no, in my mind, no justification. It was being conformed to the culture, not to the scriptures. Right? To deny admission of people to educational institutions on the basis of their ethnicity was wrong. Right? To to try to foster this racial theory that there are actually all these, I mean, I, and I I'm old enough to have gone through it. Right? I mean, I went to college at a time where the college I went to divided them into three races. But there were other colleges that had four. Right, They, they wouldn't let Hispanics date whites. And, and it was just pick-and-choose arbitrariness. I mean, it, it, was, it was terrible. No justification for it at all. Right? and And we should not flinch on that. I, I got in trouble while I was a college student arguing against it. I got in trouble when I was a pastoral staff member at a church for arguing against it. I stood in the office of the administration of a school when this stuff started to blow up. And, and there are four or five preachers in there. And one of them said, I hope they'll come out and defend the school's position on it. And I said to the administrator, I sure hope they don't. Because it's not biblical. And if they come out and try and say it's biblical, it's going to force those of us who disagree with it to have to confront it. And you should have seen the faces on the other preachers. And they're like, but that's the reality. It's, it's wicked. For me to say, though, it's not a gospel issue is not in any way sympathetic with, with racism. It's to say the gospel's the gospel. Right? And we need to make certain... That we hold the line where the scripture holds the line instead of shoehorning every pet issue into the gospel in a way so that we can use it like leverage to club people in line. Right? It happened, you know, happened during the elections over the refugees. The refugees are a gospel issue. And now it's this thing. Everything becomes a gospel issue to sort of whip people in line to it so that they can force conformity on it. And effectively, what's happening is the very nature and content of the gospel is being threatened by it. So that you're having people, right, if it's a gospel issue and people are on the right side of it, does that imply they've accepted the gospel? That's what's happening with Mother Teresa. I think that's what happened with MLK see they got this gospel issue right well how do you get a gospel issue right unless you believe the gospel and so what it's doing is it's effectively shoehorning people into the faith and and losing it and i and i would say just i'm 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 hitting one direction but that's why i i mean i'm not a i try to stay out of it but I mean, you know, when this whole thing, I started getting attacked, I pinned one of my tweets at the top. It said it was basically showing the foolishness of defending the indefensible. That is saying, you know, uh, the, the, the president is on the side of the faith. Right. I think Russell Moore and Jerry Falwell Jr. are equally failing the gospel. Right, to, to baptize in Martin Luther King Jr. or President Trump as if they believe the gospel because they're on our side in these issues is wrong. Right, It's wrong. And it, it confuses the gospel and we can't let that happen. And it's, it, it ends up being it ends up being An issue where the mission of the church is shifted to a kind of agenda that's outside the purview of Scripture. Our our job is not to elect conservative politicians as the church, our job is not to stamp out social injustice as the church. We have a commission, not causes. Jesus didn't say, Go and stop abortion he didn't say go and stomp out racial injustice he didn't say go and eliminate poverty he didn't say go and whatever he said go make disciples preach the gospel to every creature declare repentance for the forgiveness of sins in my name you should be witnesses of me they'll believe on me through their word right there's there's the instructions to the church. And, 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 and recognizing the difference between me as a Christian and the church and its responsibilities is getting lost in this. I mean, I'm a citizen of the United States. And because in God's providential kindness, I can vote and I can, I can promote certain things that matter to me. Yeah, I ought to be. I ought to be concerned about those things as a Christian, right? But I hope I get voted out of our church the moment I bring in some political candidate to do their stump speech in our worship. Or we start handing out, you know, uh, candidate guides so that we can get everybody to vote the way the church is pushing it. That's not the church's job. That's not it. And, and, and the, the, the sinister reality of it is, is that people will get more stoked about stopping abortion or stopping one of these issues than they will the fact that there are people dying and going to hell apart from Christ. And you, if I call, hey, let's go, get, let's go get in the life chain alongside of all the Roman Catholic churches so we can make sure people know that inner cities against abortion... You'd be amazed how many people would come do that for three hours, you know, in the snow on a Saturday. And you say, hey, this Saturday we're going to go for three hours. We're going to go door to door, tell people about Jesus Christ. And you you don't get the same response. Well, you look at the weather. I mean, nobody wants to go do it. And it's a relative value issue. We're inherently materialists and temporalists. So people can get stoked about issues that affect them and affect people they care about, and affect their children, right, and lose sight of the fact that we have a mission from Christ. And the church, as church, needs to be focused on that mission and not allow it to get pushed aside by redefinitions of the gospel. All right, I'm a little hyped. Can you tell? Right? I, it wasn't I drink. I didn't drink too much coffee. I don't drink it. I may have had one too many extra energy drinks this morning or something. But guys, this is this is crazy. And I'm gonna I'm gonna just circle back with this and I'll stop. All right. I I just think that um we so so what I would say is okay. I I just think it's easy to get browbeat into conformity because because people want to fit in right they want to fit in and that's that's been true I mean I've, I've, I'm old enough now to have watched it happen on the other side right people wrongly attacking faithful preachers and people fall in line with it because they don't want to be excluded from the, from the club right and and you gotta you I me mean, I mean dr. Not to bring Dr. Compton in in this, I just, I mean, so, so thirty years ago, there was this whole battle about the blood of Christ, right? And and people, there were good, good people which with whom we had a lot of fellowship with, that started accusing MacArthur of heresy on the blood, right? And we didn't go along with it, right? We spoke out against it. I looked at Dr. Compton because he wrote a article in the in in what we used to be called the Sentinel back then that, you know, ended up catching us a bunch of flack because a guy decided to take that and and go after us about it. And I remember uh, Donald Wade, who I don't know if he's even still around, Bible for Today, somehow got all the correspondence. Bet- I mean, I think I don't know if you were, but so basically they attacked Dr. Compton. So then Dr. McCune stepped up and, and wrote to reply, and then the guy started attacking McCune and Compton, so then I, s- I wrote a reply to it. And all of a sudden, this guy takes all of our correspondence and starts selling it from his ministry with all of his highlights around. I remember writing to the guy and saying, you know, I, this was like early to mid-90s. I always wanted to be published. I just wasn't quite expecting it to, to work this way, right? <laughs> but, but here's what I'm saying. I'm just trying to show you, alright? So so in 1988, before I'm back here, right, I'm, I'm getting ready to finish seminary and, and going to be looking for ministries. And there was a major fundamentalist leader who happened to be at First of Troy for an event. And I had the job of driving him back to the airport. And, and, and when we got to the airport, I said, I'm not going to name his name, I, I'd like you to take these articles and read them because the position you're articulating on the blood of Christ is causing real damage. All right now I'm telling you, I'm just am not I'm not trying to hold myself I'm just saying that could have that could have torpedoed my hopes for any kind of a position in the circle with those guys. Right? But it didn't really matter because what was being perpetuated was deadly wrong. And it needed to be challenged. Right? And there was really no benefit to be accrued to me in doing that. Right? I know my pastor at the time wouldn't have been happy to know I did it. The leader of that organization wasn't happy, to do it, happy for me to do it. But it needed to be done. And I'm, I'm not saying that to, to blow my horn. I'm simply saying, so hear what I'm saying today just like that. Okay, I really don't care what some of those guys out. I mean, some of the guys that are way out there, I don't care. But there's some guys that I actually have relationships with, that that I, I actually respect, who are who are perpetuating the same nonsense, and it it is not helpful, <laughs> right? And here's my concern is that the the luminaries over here. The wattage coming off of them might blind you to the reality of what's going on. It doesn't matter who's saying it. Right? The issue is here. Now, you may not agree with me, and that's fine. Right? But the issue would be about this text or about Scripture. And and so you should be able to defend your position from here. Not, well, Dr. So-and-so thinks it's this, right? Or, you know, what about what happened 100 years ago? Or what about all those things may have a place, but not the primary place. (laughs) The primary place is right between these covers, right? We're men of the book, and we need to guard... Against uh, erosion of that. All right, let's pray. Lord, please help us to uh, have wisdom and discernment that we might understand the times in which we live. And we might we might recognize that um, every one of us, even I mean, I, I'm 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 certainly vexed by a bunch of this, but I'm not immune to error myself. So. Help us to recognize with humility how we need to let the Word speak with authority and not shape it into what happened to be our personal passions and desires or our tendency to want to go along. Uh, Help us to stand on the truth, trusting you that the Word will do its work and at the end of the day, when we stand at the Bema Seat of Christ, it won't matter how many people stood next to us. It will be, have we been faithful to your word? Have we built with gold, silver, and precious stones that are consistent with the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the DBTS Chapel Hour. DBTS is a ministry of Intercity Baptist Church. To find out more about Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary, please go to dbts.edu.